I don't think there's anything else to say except that Paul's a special case. It, it, it seems like Luke puts it forward plainly. The, the face value understanding of Matthias is that he becomes an apostle. They cast lots for him. The lot fell on Matthias, which means this is the Lord's decision. And he was numbered with the eleven. And from there on, through Acts 1 through 5 especially, the apostles are spoken of as a, as a unit, as twelve, as a group. Welcome to the Fire and Bones podcast. I'm Michael Crosswhite, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And I am Nathan Loudon, the pastor of Millwood Baptist Church in Austin, Texas. Follow the podcast, rate it. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this week's episode. I started preaching Acts this week. Acts. I'm going to do 19 sermons in two chapters. I think I've already told you this. And just preached this week on Acts 1, 1 through 2. 1, 1 and 1, 2. <laughs> so the first two verses. <laughs> and the the main the main point was on apostle uh the main point of the whole sermon was about the certainty that we have through the apostles. How many how many apostles would you say there are? Oh man. We've talked about this. You this was like a big <laughs> you were asking me and I was giving you the answers for your sermon. And uh <laughs> I, was gonna, I was uh you asked me to like basically as happens every you week. asked me to yes. write your sermon for you and, and so I was like, I can't write your sermon in my sermon mm-hmm. too and yeah. Um Yeah. It was it was awkward. So, I think there are 12 apostles. There are 12 apostles. I'll say there are 12 apostles. And you're going to ask me. I'm going to ask you what everyone asked me on Sunday after my sermon. What about Paul? Yeah. And I was glad. I was glad for that. We, I, 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 I spoke pretty exclusively about the 12 and the unit. Or in our in that case the eleven, uh, because right. of Judas at that point. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I I was really surprised studying for Acts, and this is the one of the reasons we're going to go so slow, especially at the beginning. the The prominence that the apostles have in the New Testament, yeah. in the the place that they have, and the role that they serve, and how they distinguish. Christianity from other religions. Yeah. Um, it was helpful. Yeah. It was helpful for, for me to think about. So yeah. So so um, what about Paul? Is always right. So like, so if you're tracking through Acts, and here in your question, basically the the problem that a lot of people think of, about is in chapter one, the disciples appoint Matthias to replace Judas. The apostles. And, mm-hmm. and, and yeah, disciples, apostles. Um, so they, they rep- appoint Matthias to replace Judas 
And then, uh, and Peter even cites his reasoning Scripture. is like, mm-hmm. I pretty much we need a twelfth, right? <laughs> and mm-hmm. they get he gives some criteria for what the person has to do to be the twelfth kind of person. They basically draw straws, and Matthias draws the short straw or big straw, whichever one you, whichever way you want to think about it. And um, and he becomes the twelfth apostle, and then mm-hmm. not halfway. What is it? A quarter of the way through the book, we find Paul. Mm-hmm. Paul is then later. Paul will defend his own apostleship vehemently. V- yes, yeah. vehemently. He will defend his own apostleship. Um. So then. Are there 13 apostles? Did the disciples just panic and not know that God was going to take care of that and appoint a 12th? And so they tried to do it themselves, and and it was like, yeah, I mean, Matthias is there, but you never hear much about him after that, yada, yada. Or -hmm. what? Um, So was that kind of the nature of the questions that you got? was like yep so what so what you how'd you answer i got an email i got an email about it this week <clears throat> how'd you answer my answer my answer was well we're in chapter one that's eight chapters away <laughs> so your answer was i just gotta read some more commentaries <laughs> i'll see i'll see you next spring yeah. in our, at our at our current track yeah. i'll be answering that question yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like the uh, the homeschool mom. Like you don't have to know how to do math; you just have to know how to do math one week before your kid does. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, pretty pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> so is that is that the way you're pastoring? You pastoring like a homeschool mom? <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Yeah, I I think the only I don't think there's anything else to say except that Paul's a special case. It it, it seems like Luke puts it forward plainly the the face value understanding of Matthias is that he becomes an apostle they cast lots for him the lot fell on Matthias which means this is the lord's decision right. and he was numbered with the 11 and from there on through acts 1 through 5 especially the apostles are spoken of as a as a unit as 12 as a group, <clears throat> and they are laying down the authoritative, spirit-empowered witness that Jesus, the one that they crucified, the one that the Jews and the chief priests had crucified, that he actually is the Christ and the son of David, that he is the king, that that's their testimony. And Jesus chose those 12, he chose the 11 and, and Judas. Back in Luke chapter 6, he spent all night in prayer. He called the disciples to himself. And then he chose from among the disciples 12. And it lists their names in Luke 6. And it says that he named them apostles. So he made them a special class of disciple with a special call as as disciples to to be more than disciples or a kind of disciple which is apostle and 
when you get to the farewell discourse in John 14 through 17, Jesus is in the upper room. He's instituting the, the Lord's Supper, which is you know, about him and his body, his crucifixion, but it's in the Passover lamb meal. You, you have the washing of feet there. You have Jesus telling his disciples the night he's going to be arrested, the night before he's crucified, Jesus is telling them, I'm going away. They're confused, and he promises the 12, the apostles, that the Spirit is going to come, give them understanding, give them remembrance, and give them boldness, give them power to understand, remember, and, and preach everything that Jesus has taught them and the gospel. So that's particularly to them. And Luke seems to record as part of the narrative that he began back in Luke 6 about the apostles. He, he writes through chapter 1 as if this is it. This is the thing. This is what happened. He is an apostle. And there's no commentary in the New Testament from, from Paul or an apostle or anyone that says Matthias wasn't an apostle, um, that we messed up. You know, Cal, Cal came to me this week, our associate, <clears throat> and said, you know, what about the, what about the, the you know, the, the view that Matthias wasn't a real apostle, that they messed up, that they, they went before, yeah. they were filled with the Spirit. They, and I was like, I, who... You know, having read Acts one and Acts itself several times uh, recently, I was just like, I just can't imagine that being the reading. Yeah, right. When you read through it, and there's nothing in the New Testament that looks back right and and says that about Matthias. Um, so and and Paul for that. So on that, that idea, th- there's lots of idea. There's lots of things like this in the Bible that pop up, and I'm leery of all of them. So I just got to one in First Samuel where David, you know, basically goes to uh, Ahimelech at the at the temple and sa- and mm-hmm. and kind of well he doesn't kind of he lies to him, you know says he's on a mission for Saul and he gets the mm-hmm. bread and he gets the sword and um, and leaves and the question always comes back well David lied there was that a sin. The, the Bible literally does not condemn him at all for what he did. Right. So Absolutely. it would be, I'm leery of a reading of that text that would walk away. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha interpretation. Yeah, that would walk away and go, David sinned here. That was the reason this was recorded. It's, it's not. It's flatly right. not. And it's never spoken of again in a way of condemnation. The most Jesus mm-hmm. ever says about that is... Um, David basically didn't necessarily have the right to the showbread, but Ahimelech was showing him mercy. Okay, mm-hmm. um, is it, kind of the if you want to, I mean, it's that's a, that's sort of taking Jesus's words and and maybe implying, but still, that that's about the most you get on it, and no like really words mm-hmm. of condemnation. So I think it would be a bad reading to walk away from something like that or Acts one and go. The point of that text was the disciples, you know, jump. You have jumped, to start reading the, the Bible a, a either, I mean, maybe the same way that you've been reading the Bible. But you you have, I would have to read the Bible differently. And by that I mean I would have to use different 
tools for interpretation. I would have to think that words work a different way, that words have a different meaning, that context has a different meaning, that uh, you know the the way that you get to the point in the truth of Scripture. You, I would have to do it all different to get to that conclusion. Um, because it doesn't say it explicitly. Nowhere else in Scripture says it. It's kind of that is that is the the best you can do is say I think that's what it means. Yeah, it at best that that, that level of understanding. At best, it's it's reading the Bible with presumption as at foremost, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah. So and it doesn't and it doesn't really get you anything either, right? It really what what happens then? What what changes? Yeah. Um, if you think that that is the grounds on which Paul becomes an authoritative apostle right. only if he's one of the 12 right. um you you have to go back and say well when when Paul, when peter you know called for someone who had been with christ from the beginning right that peter was wrong to do that right and that even jesus himself spoke to the uh 12 in the upper room saying in part, the Spirit is going to empower you to testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning. Yeah, That's Jesus' words. That's why Peter says that in Acts 1, because Jesus says that about them in the upper room. Yeah. That they, they, did, they were not witnesses in that they, they heard what Jesus said to them after he resurrected, and so they're basically journalists. Yeah. You know, they're they're just passing on a historical record. No, the whole point was very early. Jesus chose those twelve. He called he called them as disciples. You know, before we find out Peter is an apostle, we have the record of his calling as a disciple. Right, and then we see their designation because they're supposed to be with Jesus from the beginning. And so Matthias coming in to hold that office is. Uh, it it makes sense that that would be an expectation. That's what Jesus says about the other eleven. So, when, when you, if if you want that to be, you know, the the place that that Paul holds, um, it's not going to be the argument that Paul makes for his own apostleship. Uh huh. He doesn't argue. He, I think people might be surprised to know, like Paul argues for his apostleship that he is an apostle. Uh, to to great degree, first and second Corinthians, for example, Galatians one uh, would be Galatians one, <clears throat> but he um, that that's not his argument. All right, so tell me what you, know, you I was with Christ from the beginning. Tell me what you think about this that, idea. So, mm-hmm. um, what we know about and think about as the apostles is probably more commonly referred to as the 12 in the New Testament. Certainly they're referred to in the Bible as the 12 apostles and but that the 12 though their apostles are kind of set apart from another group also called apostles. That the group called apostles is much broader than simply 12. And there is hard. there is a distinction between the apostles as a whole group of whatever it is seventy or more, 
and the 12 apostles. There's a, there's a distinction, clearly, but in the New Testament, we even have reference to people outside of the 12 called apostles. So Paul is one, but let's put him in a separate category for the time being. James, the brother of Jesus, is another who is not a disciple, and he was not one of the 12, but he is referred to in Galatians 1.19 as an apostle. Paul is defending his own apostleship there in saying that he did not receive the approval from any man to get his commissioning. He received it directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his point in Galatians 1. And he comes down and he says, But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Mm-hmm. And I think the clear, you could read that a number of different ways, but I think the clearest and most simple reading is to say that he considers James to be an apostle. Some people will say, well, there's capital A apostles and there's lowercase a apostles, but there's not, that's not the distinction in Greek. So, you know, that, or that's not a thing. I mean, there are capital letters and lowercase letters, but that's not the way they used them in, in Greek. So when we have him referring seemingly to James, the Lord's brother, as an apostle. And that's one example, but I think there's a broader group called apostles, which Paul falls in and will defend his apostleship. And the question about Paul in the New Testament that he's defending is that he is a part of the ones specifically commissioned and sent by Christ. And his commissioning is to Gentiles. I don't think he's arguing that he should be one of the twelve. I don't think that's what he's arguing at all. No. He, he argues that he is an apostle. Right. And what he means right. by that is he's an apostle in the same way James the Lord's brother is an apostle, that he is specifically commissioned and sent by the Lord Jesus Christ, as James is, apparently. And, mm-hmm. um, and that the twelve is a distinction used for people who are intimate with Jesus' ministry, who were a part mm-hmm. of it. And um, and there was a there was a group of people that were part of that, but from pretty much beginning to end, the witnesses of the resurrection and things like that that Peter lays out in in Acts one, that um, that for that reason they are set apart as the twelve. Now they're all branded apostles because it just means ones that are sent. So. They're apostles in in a general sense, but it's specifically they were sent by the Lord Jesus Christ. The twelve is a distinction for those that's even even more so than just being sent by Jesus. There was a whole ministerial stuff that went with that. So uh, Paul is an apostle. Is he one of the twelve? No. Even Paul's not arguing that he's one of the twelve. Correct. Yeah, I don't. I don't think Paul. We solved it. Let's move on to the next one. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's just not there. He just doesn't argue for it. Right. Um, I don't think I would, you know, I think my recollection is that the 70 and the 72 in the New Testament are not spoken of as apostles, that the Lord, they're, they're referred to as the 70 or 70 they were given power to heal, and I think power to cast out demons <clears throat> when they were sent out into towns in uh, in Israel. 
But I don't think they're called. I don't think they're called apostles. James is. I'm happy to be corrected. In Galatians one nineteen by Paul. By Paul. What does what does Paul mean by that? You know, I don't think the uh, that's not a passage I studied this week to see. Uh, you know what Paul meant, um, but there's a pretty ex- there's a pretty exclusive club in the twelve, right? And it's a set it is a set group, and they are Luke is recording the the reason Acts is called Acts of the Apostles uh, often is because it follows the apostles in Acts one one through eight until we meet Paul. And then it follows the Apostle Peter in chapter 9 and 10. <clears throat> and then it's just Paul. The rest of Acts. Like, that's the narrative, is those guys. Other people, obviously, are part of the narrative. But the, the backbone of the narrative is the, uh, the apostles. So, And they're spoken of in the first half of Acts as the twelve and the apostles so let me ask you as this. a unit. Acts 14, yep. 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, the I I did not put that in there this week. But my take on that would be that that would be an unusual generic use of apostle to include Barnabas. I'm te- but I'm saying this is this is the way that they thought about people commissioned specifically by Jesus, not not commissioned necessarily by the church but commissioned specifically by Jesus with a task who were part of a broader group of disciples sent by Jesus were referred to as apostles and the 12 were separated from them as the 12 apostles or the 12. You even, I mean, you even have a, 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 a book coming out of the first century, the Didache, which is the teaching of the 12. Like it's referred to mm-hmm. as with, with that designation, with that nomenclature. So mm-hmm. when we see apostles appear in Scripture, sometimes it means the 12, and sometimes mm-hmm. it doesn't. Sometimes it's talking about a broader group. Um, so, and, and context is the only one that can tell us that, but Barnabas is referred to as an apostle. apostle. James is referred to as an apostle, and these are not the 12. And so I'm saying the word apostle has a general use. I'm not saying it's always the used word that way. apostle. The word apostle in Greek culture outside the Bible is a pretty generic term, right? But I'm but I'm saying inside the church, there was a designation for that person is an apostle, and and but but it has a generic, more generic use than twelve people. The major distinction in Acts one is not that. Uh, there is no one else referred to as apostle in the New Testament. That's not the that's not the distinction. If you have Paul and Barnabas and James, the the major distinction is these apostles with this task, empowered this way by the Spirit, to lay down a fixed, authoritative, eternal message that is eternally authoritative and is the foundation of the new Jerusalem, the foundation of our salvation and our being in heaven with God itself is the teaching of 
the twelve in Acts one, in the book of Acts, but most narrowly Acts one one through five, where their healing and casting out demons is accompanying their message that they heard from Jesus, that they witnessed with their eyes, that they touched with their hands, and that they understood by the Holy Spirit, and that they preached by the boldness of the Holy Spirit. That that 12 had that specific task in time, and history. That's what they were to do in the, the chronology of God's redemptive plan, and that's what they were tasked to do by Jesus himself. Barnabas doesn't seem to be counted among that group doing that action in the Twelve and the Apostles. He's going he with won? Paul preaching. But not in, the, not in the original group. He's like Paul. He's, he's outside that group. But I'm saying, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, tw- the Twelve clearly have a, a separate designation. But, but he's still referred to as an Apostle, and he still does preaching. Clearly, we don't right, we don't hear he, his words, but it's clear right, he's going with Paul a, preaching and teaching. Right, but my <clears> point is the distinction between apostles in the New Testament that twelve wasn't that there are not other apostles doing uh, apostle work, whether it's you know Barnabas or or Paul, but that that twelve had a distinct job that they were given to do in their calling in Luke 6 and in their uh, in, in Jesus' plans and promises to them in the upper room and in the filling of the Holy Spirit in Acts 1 and 2. Yeah. And that they they are distinctly authorized to lay down with authority in Scripture inscribed forever, this is the gospel. Right. This is the truth about Jesus. Right. You can't deny it. This is unalterable. This is this is the foundation of heaven. Right. This is you, you. You can't take this away. You can't add to this. Right. And you know Paul writing so much of the New Testament um, just makes Paul different. Yeah. But it's Paul in a different case, and became an apostle a different way, and was given a, a unique task. To go to the Gentiles, you and I were talking the other day. I think it was you and I about it's weird because once you get to to Saul's calling and becoming uh, uh, an apostle, missionary, going to the Gentiles in the Book of Acts chrono- chronologically, once you get there, you don't have anything but Paul. It's just Paul. Yeah. You're following Paul everywhere he goes, and and you're following when you have the apostles and you have the council in Jerusalem, you have Paul going there, and it's about Paul's relationship to them. Right. And basically, you know, thinking, you know, what you said about the timeline about Paul saying he didn't see anyone, that was his initial preaching of the gospel. Yeah. He did go in Acts 15 and did interact with the apostles. Yeah. <clears throat> which I, I I take as Luke kind of showing that Paul's not out there doing his thing and the twelve are right. here doing their thing, but they're no they have come to affirm we yeah. we have one single gospel to preach and so Paul is given authority essentially right. to preach the gospel in uh, in an apostle like 
way, teach it and lay down his words in scripture. Yeah. Um, and I would I would say probably I would probably place a little bit more of a distinction between the twelve and uh, and the generic apostles than than probably you would or and I would probably lump Paul into those um, the broader category of apostles that they still have authority as apostles and there were people going around meaning they could have they could have taught Paul and disagreed with Paul. I think they could have taught Paul or disagreed with Paul. I think they could have, they, they, more than that, I think they had a corrective authority on people. Like they had a commanding authority in the churches. This is how the apostles govern. And I think that could be the broader category of apostles. And Paul refers to a couple, some people coming around preaching that, that kind of like he, he, um, almost in a, um, it's in second Corinthians 12, 11, but he, he, uh, he refers to them in sort of a pejorative sense as the super apostles. You know, it's these people who kind of, they're coming around presuming some sort of authority that they don't have. And then you have uh, in Revelation 2, 2, John refers to people who um, call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. The distinction, I think, between the broader category of apostles and the 12 in their authority is that the and the twelve are called out in Revelation twenty one fourteen the twelve apostles of the Lamb that they had a a, a a in a sense a kind of super authority over even the broader category of the apostles. What the apostles are teaching, the broad category of apostles are teaching, is a doctrine that is found in and taught by the twelve. And um, mm-hmm. that they have the the commanding authority over all the churches in Jesus's stead as his direct emissaries, and the the broader category of the apostles are also have an authority over the churches, but are are also reflecting. You'll find this is true also if you go back to the twelve, and so I think Paul. Mm-hmm. Has an author has authority over the churches. He tells them. He tells the churches. You know, do I not have authority over you as an apostle? You know, so like I think the apostles do have authority over the churches, and they they could you know whatever it is, command a salary maybe, or you know whatever to to write scripture to write yeah. scripture. Yeah, and, but <clears throat> but that authority should reflect the same teaching that is consistent in the twelve also. And, uh, right. and so I, I think Paul might be, um, you know, elevated amongst the broader category of apostles because of his unique role with the Gentiles that he even points out, you know, but I think that's just reflective of, of what God had given him, the ministry that God had given to him and specifically set him apart for maybe uniquely gifted him for, if you want to say it that way, um, you know, but I don't think any of that really confuses those distinctions between a broader gr- group called apostles and a 12 mm-hmm. that are specifically yeah. setting doctrine for the church, you know, mm-hmm. throughout. So yeah. when it comes to questions like that from like people, you know, that, that are listening to like, you know, or, or watching the disciples, the disciples, apostles, the 12, the 11 set apart a 12, um, you know, Matthias that I think the mm-hmm. 
the I think the question is not taking into account all the many uses of apostle and how Paul what Paul is defending. Paul, Paul we remember is a is a persecutor of the church and he and he even says I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. So he was a persecutor of the church and and he's going to the Gentiles and he it seems like frequently not in the circle of the 12 or maybe even in the broader group of apostles. And so it seems like maybe there's churches going, who's this guy? You know, what, what authority do you have? And mm-hmm. he is, he, uh, you know, starts off his letters an, an apostle mm-hmm. and call, by calling himself an apostle uh, of Jesus Christ. And so he, and he defends throughout his right as apostleship and his authority over the church and things like that. And so, you know, I, I think um, his defense is not, I'm one of the 12. I should be considered one of the 12. And I think it's improper for us to just kind of include him in there because the Bible never does. And he never defends mm-hmm. that. His his defense is, I am part of the group that is sent by Christ and I do have authority over the churches. And mm-hmm. so when I say this, you need to take it as fact. This is what the way it is. And I think that's what he's defending. I don't think he's defending his right to be included in the 12, and I don't think we would be right to, to do that either. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. And I do I do think there's what happens in Acts 15 when Paul comes to Jerusalem. So men from Judea are coming down saying, you know, unless you're circumcised, you can't be a part of, you can't be saved, you can't be part of the people of God. And <clears throat> Paul and Barnabas uh, debate with them, and they end up coming to have this discussion with the uh, other, with the, the 12 apostles. You have Paul and Barnabas coming to talk to the apostles in Jerusalem, and it's there that Peter stands up and says, which is hin- interesting, Peter says, you know in the in the early days, <laughs> we don't even think we think about Acts happening in like one week, yeah. you know, like the whole book. Um, but, but Peter actually says, in the early days, you know, the Gentiles back when I still had two included. good knees. Uh, you remember? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, back when persecution was really bad, you know. Um, um, but but in in the in the early days, God made a choice that. By Peter's mouth, the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and uh, and believe that they received the Holy Spirit. That there's no distinction between us and them, and that to to put on them the yoke of circumcision, basically, you know, shorthand for the law, would be to put on them a yoke and a burden that we could never have carried, that we had to be saved from ourselves. It's it's silliness to put that burden on them that they could not carry. We're saved by grace uh, in the Lord Jesus. We are just like all Gentiles will be, and and there it's it's Paul's ministry out to the Gentiles later chronologically after Peter that gets that attention, and Paul showing up to Jerusalem and the council and the apostles. It's like his it's like his gospels being stamped by Peter and the apostles as, no, that's the gospel. You are saved by grace through faith in Christ, and you, you don't need the law. 
to save you. You 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 can't do the law. That's a that's a burden that we couldn't carry. So it's there's a, a unity between Paul and the twelve. There's there's not in, in terms of message and content of what they're preaching. Uh, so it's not just as if Paul just kind of you know, went on on his own and did his own thing and just kind of said on his own will, yeah, you know, I'm, I think I'll be an apostle too, you know? I had this vision, you know, what what would separate Paul from David Koresh, you know, just showing up going, hey, I'm an apostle. I, I saw something, I heard something, you know, it's me too. Um, you, you, you have Paul and the apostles historically recorded by Luke and Acts working together to preach the same gospel. So then can I ask... Uh, they send this letter to the people, and they say, "You don't have to be saved by the law. You say, you're saved. We're saved by grace. We had to be saved from that. Yeah, yeah everything you just said. Okay." Mm-hmm. And then they say, "We only ask these requirements. We only have we we lay on you no greater burden than these requirements: that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled." And from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well. Farewell. <laughs> I love the sign off. Farewell. <laughs> that's at the that's at the end of fifteen, right? This is fifteen twenty twenty eight and twenty nine. Um well actually let me read the all of twenty eight. It says, For it has Mine seemed good see. to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. <laughs> if you keep yourself from these, you will do well. Farewell. All right. Why those things? I mean, I think everybody gets behind sexual morality. And I think everybody gets behind, um, yeah, I mean, that's probably the one that everybody's like, I can understand that one. I can understand saying, hey, let's abstain from sexual morality. But, uh, and from blood, can I, can I eat my steak rare or can I, can I eat it medium, (laughs) medium rare or not? I think, I think there's a matter of offense that they are addressing between peoples. So Paul understands food sacrificed to idols. You know, he I think his personal understanding, his, you know, his uh, his free conscience in Romans 14, 12 or 14. Um and 1 Corinthians 9, 8 or 9, going on memory here. It's in there. Somewhere. Is you can eat anybody can eat food sacrificed to idols. We know that those aren't gods. We know that there's nothing there's no demons in the meat. We know that that's not real. If anyone has a clean conscience and goes to buy meat on the market that was offered up for worship the day before, it's just meat. Mm-hmm. You can eat it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he's working through that. Um, the the same for blood. You know, blood and eating blood had significant uh, ritualistic detailed commands in Leviticus for priests and what they could eat, and when they could eat it, and what of the sacrifice could be eaten, and when. So, um, and, and you know, what has been strangled. 
the it, you, you find yourself in a place where I think those things are likely culturally going, okay, you don't have to follow the law to be saved. But we have example of New Testament of those things being talked about in terms of conscience and love for your brother. I mean, Paul would go so far as to say, hey, listen, we had, was it Timothy that was circumcised, mm. even though we didn't have to? Mm-hmm. You know, why? To follow the law? No, because we knew that you Jews were going to cause trouble. By the way, what was that so, conversation like? I don't. Man, I cannot Paul imagine. And Timothy, where Paul says, "You don't have to. You don't have, have to hear for me the gospel, this, son." Like <laughs> <laughs> the, the Lord Jesus doesn't require this for you to be saved, Timothy. However, yeah, but <laughs> we're, <laughs> but yeah, but we. But, so that would be my take on that. Is it? It is distinct from the law. So it's not like they say you don't need the law to be saved, and they come back and say, "Well, but you got to follow these laws." Yeah, I think it would fall in lines of it, you're out there in the Jew-Gentile context. If you just refrain from these things, you'll do well. You you won't have to be facing the uh, the the law grace issues if that if, if that's your if that's your practice. That's a way to love your brother. That's a way to love your neighbor. In in essence, while you were saying that, I think a tornado just hit outside my office window. I'm like, <laughs> I was. I was what, wondering what in the world was like. All of a sudden, there's just a deluge. I hear is things, ru- in the, I hear people in the office r- running and talking and screaming. A, a rushing wind and the walls are shaking while we're talking about acts. Yeah, I might be. Uh, <laughs> I might be attacked right now by the you, the wind. You could be. Maybe you're becoming an apostle. If you see a right tongue now. of fire over my head <laughs> in this on this FaceTime chat, then you you uh, you yeah, just let me know. Um, well, no. Yeah, so like, so that's kind of my read on it too. Is that he, the whole thing is about, hey, here we are, Jews. Do we consider these Gentiles to be brothers in the Lord, and how does that work? And the whole thing is really like, what are they in relation to us, and do they need to go through the, all the things that we went through? Or yeah. can they just sort of shortcut the line and go straight to Jesus? Like, is that yeah. how this whole thing works? And I yeah. think at the end of it, they go, no, they don't have to go through the steps that we went through, becoming Jews yeah. and then whatever. But we would say, since you are brothers with us, then we would ask these things, that that you abstain from these things. And I think the implication probably, at least if we're to take into account all the letters of Paul, is that maybe not necessarily all of these things are immoral away from us, right? The eating Mm -hmm. of meat that sacrificed to idols, but in relation, as it pertains especially to being in, in relationship with us. Um, I don't think you can apply that to all of them. Obviously, sexual morality is one of those things that we would go, well, that's obviously that's that's, that's labeled sin. a sin throughout. But eating meat, sin. sacrifice to idols, you know, not necessarily. Right. right. Yeah. Um, yeah. The the command to <clears throat> not commit sexual morality is it, it is a command not to sin. Yeah. Is, that's cross cultural. It's distinct. So. Yeah, I, you know, I I think, you know, ma- main things that I'm thinking about the apostles right now is we, we don't know what to, we haven't 
often known what to do with them. And, and I said this on Sunday that, ironically, Luke is writing for our certainty, for the church's certainty. That's what he says at the beginning in, Luke's, in Luke chapter 1. Why is he writing? So that we may be certain about the things that have, that have happened, the things that you've been told. The apostles are part of that. And Luke, basically, you know, Luke 2, Acts, the book of Acts. And the apostles are there to provide certainty for the church. This is what Jesus taught. This is the content of the gospel. This is uh, worth dying for. This is the plan. This is what God's doing. This is Jesus' authority. All of those things come from, from those 12. And then is attested by the Holy Spirit, by their miracles, by casting out demons, by their healing. And, uh, and we learn that the gospel is for Gentiles too. And Peter and Paul's preaching to the Gentiles that that's what the, the gospel is for. And you, you have, you know, I'm thinking probably because of the place that the twelve held in Acts 15, Paul is the one who, who leaves the, the argument in the town that he's in about circumcision and the law. And he goes up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. Now, do you think Paul just didn't know? <laughs> he didn't know the true gospel? Like he didn't know if it was by grace or by circumcision and he needed to get it cleared up? I don't think so. My, my, my first thought would be that Paul knows that that 12 has an authority that he doesn't have where he is yet maybe. And so let's go settle this question once for all so that no one can say Paul's teaching one thing and we heard the apostles are teaching another thing. Mm. No, that, so that you can't ask that question. Mm. You can solidify that so that Paul's teaching is in continuity with the, with the 12. Um, but that deposit that they laid down in preaching as a unit, when, when Peter preaches in Acts 2, he's standing with the 11 and they're all standing together when he preaches on the day of Pentecost. And they're, they're laying down an authoritative, this man that you crucified is the Christ. He's the one. And it is only by his name that we are saved from our sins. And that is, that is like, it's laid down, etched in marble. This is the declaration of the apostles in the New Testament. And the point is that you can't add to it, you can't take away from it. It's the eternal hope of Christ witnessed empowered in the uh, apostles that, that Jesus chose and it's and it's encouraging it's a it's a point of it's not supposed to be a point of contention I, 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 this is the same thing with revelation like you know revelation is meant to reveal not conceal the apostles are there to give us certainty not to be this kind of foggy uh you know, like, who are these guys? And they're mysterious, and they're, you know, cloak and dagger kind of guys, and running around preaching and doing miracles. No, they're supposed to give us certainty. These are the 12. Jesus chose them. They're empowered. They heard Jesus teach. They witnessed his whole ministry, life, death, resurrection, and that's what they preached. Mm. By the power and the understanding of the Holy Spirit, it's a great certainty. That, and that, I think that's largely the point. Uh, that really characterizes, in particular, I think, Acts 1 through 5, the healings and the miracles that the apostles did, along with their preaching, was to give us certainty that these 12, before, before we get to Paul, we're not there yet in, in history and time in Acts, 
those 12 preached the gospel that saves in every generation and in every nation until Jesus comes back. Mm-hmm. And it's certain. Yeah. And this, this next week, you know, we're going to be in Acts 1-3 and see that Jesus presented himself with many proofs. And we're just going to look at one verse to see that these, what we have actually is a record of Jesus presenting himself with many proofs. Now, Jesus presenting himself with proofs to us. But, you know, this is how, this is how chief the apostles' testimony is mm-hmm. in the New Testament, that Jesus showed himself with proofs to them. And so we can take them at their word by the Holy Spirit and them and the Holy Spirit in us mm-hmm. when we hear the gospel. So, yeah, I've, I've just come to really love the apostles and be thankful for them and be thankful for Jesus choosing them and empowering them. And they're just men, they're fishermen, you know, they're a tax collector. They're just, they're just, they're just guys. And just, just thankful for the way it's put together. It brings, it brings certainty. So, so. you're, you're opening up a new book and preaching a new book. And, and I think, um, you know, one of the things that's that I don't know if it's hard for you. It's definitely a challenge for me. You go into you, you just can't. You just come out of one book. For me, it was Matthew. You go into a new book. You're in Acts. For me, it's First Samuel, and it's different, different author, different writing style, different way of storytelling, different points that are made, different ways those points are gotten to. You know. There's all kinds of like new footing that you find yourself in. You might understand the point of a book, but then there's the preaching of the book. You don't want to come to the same application every week, but you also realize that it's one author who is driving at a point. And so sometimes mm-hmm. the applications are, you know, similar or inching toward a bigger application, you know, and so it's not dramatically different week to week. But I think with a new book comes like new anxieties, fears, you know, maybe those are too strong a word to to describe it, but what's like going into acts, what's your biggest like, you know, concerns, biggest like thoughts, worries, things like that going into it? You mean about like my my thoughts, worries in terms of like what acts is about and understanding it? And, And preaching it to your congregation and all of that, like... Y'all, your season in Acts with your yeah. congregation. What's your biggest concern? I guess. Yeah, I don't have any. I don't. Ha- I really don't have any. Oh, I'm well, really excited. It's just me then. It's <clears throat> just I'm the only. It is, it is just <laughs> you. You know, I I feel, I think you feel this too. I feel comfortable saying I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm fine getting to a passage where I can say this is my best guess, my best shot. I've listened to other guys. This is what I think this means. You think something different. You're wrong, but that's fine. It's okay, <laughs> it's no big deal. You know, like being funny like that. And so I'm not, I'm not too worried about that. I think my greatest challenge. You just need to right say, now, I don't know. Let me ask my friend Michael. I, that's where you're, you're. That's your. I'll never say that in the sermon. <laughs> yeah, I'll never say that out loud. That's just between me and you. But I, I think the main. Um, the main thing that's hard for me right now about Acts in particular is I, 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 I think I know Acts. So I already have thoughts about baptism and tongues and the, what the Spirit is doing. 
And so I'm trying really hard to read Acts like I've never read it before, mm. as if I've never read it. Uh, be open to my views changing. Mm. Uh, be open to uh, listening to people who think different thoughts than me. Uh, and not just, it would be really easy just to show up and preach what I already think is true, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but for the sake of our church, for the sake of being a faithful preacher, um, and to be honest in front of our church and not just kind of preach my soapboxes when I get to some of these passages, I think that's that's the hard part. Is It's a book I'm familiar with um, and I have convictions about. And so trying not to, you know, trying to actually do my Simeon Trust worksheet every week mm. afresh, mm-hmm. you know. Um, i say that's the hard part. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, I think there's a, um, you know, what, what people see on Sunday and hopefully what they hear on Sunday, there's the assumption that you do, you study and, and you know, you you come to these sermons or, you know, whatever you listen to other people, maybe, or whatever the assumption is about how you develop what you develop on Sunday. And I think a lot of people don't know how much, how much of a struggle there is in putting words on the page sometimes in coming to the conclusions you come to, or the way you say the things that you say that it's, that it's challenging. It's difficult. You, you you could ask Hal. I walked in last week to his office on Friday, and it was Friday, like 4.30, and that's my sermon writing day. And I'm like, my, I'm like pulling my hair up, and I'm like, dude, I, I just don't know. I don't know who's an apostle. I don't know what an apostle is. I don't know what an apostle does. That's an exaggeration. You would have really but, benefited know, just, from talking to me last week. I think, <laughs> I think like you... You can get so in your own head, and stuff can just start to sound like, I mean, how many hours in a row can you stare at a book and focus? And um, But it was actually about that time and going into Friday evening where some stuff just started to click and solidify after meditating and praying and just trying to, you know, work it, you know, knead it like dough, you could say, to... So we were talking about earlier, you know, like trying to uh, trying to, try to make sense of it. So, uh, but that's that's also part of the, the the joy every week. You know, you know, I've said many what? times, like most most Sundays, you go from what the heck am I going to say about this to oh man, what am I going to cut out? I, I have so much to say. Yeah. You know, um, what's the, the joy? What is the latest that you've been writing a sermon? Ten twenty nine. That's not true. Ten fifty nine in the service, making notes in my sermon. Like easy. easy. Ten fifty eleven is assumed where you probably get up to preach. Yeah, I start preaching by eleven ten. I've put notes in my sermon. You know, changed a sentence, added a word, included a you know lyrics from a song we just sang, uh, and wrote them down in the service. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, yeah. That's. But I'm trying this. I'm trying this year to be pretty done on Friday. So I'm clearing everything on Fridays to just do that, so I can go home and be pretty done. I've never done that. 
I have typically gotten up at dark 30 and been here in the office kind of finalizing and wrapping up. And you manuscript every word, right? Yeah, every word. I'm comfortable enough to ad-lib, but yeah, I, I say the words on the page. Um what what is the reason to do that versus not doing that I'll say something stupid <laughs> but you but you I, say I, something but at I, least I you have an excuse you say something stupid every Sunday stupid and I wrote it down you on Thursday, wrote it down really you actually trouble. thought about that and put it on a page first you know no I'm I'm really comfortable in the pulpit. I'm comfortable talking. I could tell stories. I could have a thought. And so it just, it keeps me focused. It keeps my time to what I have on the page. Usually not always. I added a story on Sunday that wasn't in my notes. Um, so for, for me, it just helps me say succinctly what I plan to say in ways that I want to say it, uh, that I hope are clear and understandable and followable so that uh, because I'm in, in my comfort in front of people, I could just start talking. Yeah. And, and it might be good stuff, but it's hard, you're not going to follow it. I'm not going to, you're not going to make notes, you know. I, so did, I don't know. Did you, did you ever have Do- Dr. Holcomb in college? Yeah. Carol. Yeah. I think Carol Holcomb. Which one? I, or two. The woman, the wife. Yeah, yeah. When I, I was in her, I want to say it was a history class. She, I remember her telling me, if you have to preach from a manuscript and you cannot just get up there and open the Bible and preach a sermon, you should not be a pastor. Um, what if I agreed with that? Another, another podcast, no, another day. No, right now. What if I agreed with that? What would you I don't say? totally disagree with it, but I, I disagree with what she was saying about manuscripts. Uh, I agree. But I would agree to the degree. I would agree to the degree that if you can't get up and someone says, "What does the Bible? What does the Bible say?" or "What does this passage mean?" and you you can't understand the Bible and talk about it when asked, and you, you couldn't get up in front of your church in an hour and walk through First Kings, then yeah, what are we? What are we? What are you doing? What are we talking yeah. about? Yeah. Um, I mean, there, it would there would certainly be books that I would I would rather prepare for first. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie to you. There's a reason I didn't preach Revelation for years. Yeah. at our church. Well, ironically, Revelation I could do. You know, you know, you start getting into yeah, you some, could. some of the minor prophets. I could if I if you let me read them for, read them out loud first, then I could certainly teach on them for sure. Yeah. Um, but you know. Uh, I think, uh, you know, if uh, that a person should be able, a pastor should be able to get up and preach without a manuscript. Now, whether or not it is wise to Sunday by Sunday for that particular pastor, he sees like, I want to restrain some, some parts of me that I know are tempted to go in this direction i'm afraid i might use the pulpit to do that then i think that's a discretionary 
you know, call. Yeah. And, and I think so. I, I wouldn't I think, say that like the the only path to be a pastor is you need to read the Bible and then you kind of get a sense of where to go and then just stand up and talk about it, you know, <laughs> for 30 minutes to an hour. Yeah. And I think typically we think of preach as a, an organized sermon, three points, a poem, an illustration, a closing conclusion, and that you have to be able to do that extemporaneously. I don't think that's what we're saying. No, no. You can explain the scriptures. Right. You can defend the scriptures. Sure. Uh, you have the, the boldness to proclaim what the scriptures are Connect saying. Connect this to the rest of scripture as a whole. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. You want, you know... You you can connect the apostles to the rest of the Bible and you know what's going on. Which we got to spend some time so, on the movement of the Spirit coming into Pentecost, the tongues of fire, its connection to a lot of different things. I think we got to we got to do that at some point. Yeah, some I'll of be the preaching biblical on those theological things in, things in Acts because those are fun. Let me. Yeah, I'll be I'll be preaching on the arrival of the Spirit in March. All right, so we got that down for March. <laughs> we're, we're totally going to remember that. We are totally going to uh, remember that. Um, so, or actually, baptism of the Spirit is so uh, two weeks. On uh, so when it, going back to the writing of the sermon and preparing to preach and things like that, and uh, the giftedness to preach, you know, in connection, maybe even like with you know things that are happening with the apostles in the church and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. I so I I got frequently and and this is common for me and I actually choose to do this. This is not like a delay thing or anything like that. But I will write parts of my sermon in the office the morning of the worship service. Like mm-hmm. especially some of and there normally it's more of the applicational stuff that I say and things like that. Mm-hmm. All right. So Sometimes it'll be bleed into the third point or the last point or whatever it is. You know, I'm like, I want to finish that up. I'm going to finish that up in the office because it'll be clearer to me, you know, on Sunday morning. Well, and the one of the pastors that trained me early on uh, that actually did our wedding, he made a good point. He was like, when you get in the office at 5 a.m. Yeah. on Sunday morning, yeah, the list of things that will that can distract you are basically the same level of you're not going to be preaching today. Yeah. Like if if it's so important that you are going to go out of your office and go do something, odds are high you're not going to be preaching that day either. Right. At that hour, A, no one's up. B, um, it's very, it's much easier to say, I will have to do that later. I'll talk to you later. I'll deal with that later. On Friday at three, you you got 36 hours left that you could say, oh, I'll finish this up tomorrow. I'll, I'll, I'll give this attention tomorrow. You get a phone call, you go track it down. Um, now I try not to do that. I don't answer my phone. I tell people, talk to you later. I'm, you know, I'm busy. But there's something about that hour, um, those hours. So either way, I'm trying to be pretty done so that any work on Saturday night or Sunday morning is pretty, you know, finishing touches, rewriting a couple sentences to say them better. That's it. So my wonder is, is it talk me down off the ledge? My cons- my consideration is, uh, I, I went in, so let me go back. This the I got into the office on last Sunday morning, and mm. in my head. 
I knew what the application was and what it was yeah. going to sound like. And the mm -hmm. hardest thing was to get it from my head to my fingers. Mm -hmm. So I just gave up. And I was like, uh -huh. I'm not doing it. I'll put down two bullet points of like, just mm -hmm. to get my brain, remember what I was, what path I was trying to walk down. And mm -hmm. then I'm just going to do it. So why don't I just mm -hmm. do that? I know what my point is. I know what my main points are going to be. I know that usually I have to know that like Thursday afternoon or so. So mm. why don't I just do that and flesh it out in my head, know where I'm going, outline it as detailed as I need to be, and then just get up there mm. and preach it. Mm -hmm. Why don't we do that? You can, I don't know. You can do that if you want to. You're letting me do that. I can do that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I'll I'll check with the sermon committee, but I mean, I do whatever you want to do, man. <laughs> All right, well that was weird. That, yeah. <laughs> I didn't go where I wanted I, to go. Okay. I don't know what you're. I mean, I'm not an apostle. You have to have my authority. <laughs> that's what I was wanting, Nathan, to, to do something. <laughs> so no, but this is that's that. I guess this is kind of my question. Is like, you know. It seems like so frequently, and, and and we don't have the gifting of a of the apostles, the twelve, or anything like that. Yeah. And I'm not arguing that we do, but there does seem to be throughout Acts and throughout the New Testament a a reliance on the Holy Spirit that sometimes maybe we lack. Well, I mean, I would definitely say. You know, to the point you were just saying earlier, like, I never think that my sermon is so fixed that I can't change it on the fly. Right. I do that. I mean, I did that Sunday. Yeah. You know, there's a couple of people that I give my manuscripts to, and they would they would easily go, he did not say that sentence like that. Yeah. And, and it was an explanatory summary sentence. Yeah. That that in the service or that morning I scratched since I, you know, between the time I printed it and preached it, I scratched it out and said, no, I'm going to say it like this. And, and it landed, I, I think better than what yeah. was in the manuscript. Totally. And I said some things extemporaneously that I think were, you know, I would say I was, I was led that were in the moment of helpful communication, proclamation of, of the word. So, I mean, yeah, I, I've never felt like a manuscript binds me. And, like, I don't say anything that's not in there. I do that all the time. But if I don't have that, if I just walk up there with one sheet and it says point one, point two, illustration, tell the story, I'll be up there for two hours <laughs> talking. <laughs> and I could, find, I could find myself kind Your of congregation right now is going... Oh, Michael, please talk him talk him off of outlining. <laughs> ensure <laughs> ensure that he manuscripts. And um, I'm thinking like an outline, I'll probably preach shorter and my congregation would be going, Nathan, tell him to do an outline. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um So but it, but a sermon on a sermon on the apostles is a good example. I could talk about the apostles like we just have for an hour or whatever, but I don't want to just kind of talk. I want to, I want to say things 
that I feel I can say with authority and not just kind of add commentary on the fly. You know, just kind of talk about it. I want to try to say things I think you can you can say this is what the Bible's saying. And so I'm I'm helped to do that. I'm not saying if you don't do it with a manuscript, you can't do that authoritatively. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it helps me. Yeah. I think better. Yeah. So um so how do, so let's what are we doing next week on Acts? Cuz I think there's like 50 billion things. We're not even so Acts is like is super deep. There's yeah. so many different and biblical theology I I it it I think it, it's like when you're when you're doing biblical theology that is connecting the theological points throughout mm-hmm. um the Bible together mm-hmm. themes mm-hmm. it never ends in acts but it always runs through acts yeah right like acts is mm-hmm. is such a pivotal book for mm-hmm. biblical theology and things that are happening there and coming to fruition that are promised in the Old Testament there's references to uh, in the in acts to obscure prophetic texts um rebuilding the tent of david being the salvation of the gentiles you know i mean like stuff like that uh quote, yeah. quoting amos and things like this that are in acts that like when you go back and read those prophets you're never going there you know you're never thinking that initially but that's where the book of acts takes it so so there's so many things what are the things you think these are the things that we need we need to address we need to tackle we need to talk about and that a person who's who may be listening or who may be reading acts needs to think through you need to see these things i mean that's a it's pretty broad so i'll answer broadly i the i said this on sunday if you think that um the being a christian or that acts <clears throat> is um about spirit-filled experience that's what you think acts is about that's what you think being a christian is about you know the the wall shaking and tongues and healings and that's the epitome of what it means to be a christian acts is going to correct you if you think either by your life or by your doctrine or just by giving up on miraculous things that you think spiritless religion is acceptable as and, and passes as true Christianity, Acts is going to tell you, no. The, the, the spirit is more wild and free and uh, wild, not meaning aimless, but, but free and sovereign and moving and powerful than you could ever imagine. And there's not a different spirit out there for you than the Holy Spirit that filled the apostles and empowered the apostles. There's not a different spirit. It's one. That's Paul's point about giftedness in 1 Corinthians 12. One spirit, one Lord, one baptism. Everyone has the same. So, yeah, if... And and I think most people probably need to hear the former, you know, that they're they're either really confused about Christianity because it's not as amazing, it's not as wonderful, and we really think that Christianity is supposed to be about euphoric, spirit-filled experiences. And so it's not for us. 
and then so we therefore we get confused about what Christianity really is. And you know, maybe maybe it's really good, and maybe Christianity is good, and the spirit's real. It's just not happening for me. So maybe I'm not a true Christian. And it's like, no, no, that's not what Acts is telling us to think about what it means to be a Christian. Um, I've got some people in my church, and I'm this way some days myself. When uh, you need to realize the spirit of God is in those who believe. And look and see what the Spirit is capable of by His power to save and enlighten. Um, Bro, what you just said about um, considering, thinking like there's something better out there than the normal everyday Christianity that I'm experiencing right now is a, I, I find to be one of the biggest issues plaguing many, many Christians. That's so confusing. And yes. Then, then it's disheartening. I, I, I and, actually had there was there was actually a, a, a person that approached members of my church before that have mm-hmm. used the speaking in tongues as a um a, as a uh, 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 what it, what it would be the word like almost like bait to mm-hmm. have a deeper level of Christianity. Do, mm-hmm. do you want more Christianity than what you've got right now? Well, then yeah. it's it's tongues that will give that mm-hmm. to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know that that is and 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 there's a desire there for that that, that right? And you see that in Acts, and you, and it's like, man, this this is it. <coughs> you know, there's more. Yeah. Any anybody who's in that conversation should read a book called No Quick Fix by Andy Nacelli. It's a response to the Keswick Convention and uh, higher life theology that that's about that kind of experientialism, but there's a history there, and I don't think we realize that some of our expectations about those kinds of things and our defining Christianity that way, they didn't really, they didn't really come from a cursory reading of the book of Acts. They come from something else culturally. They come yeah. from a whole group of teaching. They come from other authors and preachers in history. For sure. That, that conscience that evangelicalism has some parts of it that we ought to have the same experiences and things like acts actually usually doesn't come from expository preaching of the word of god yeah it it comes from other places yeah and and i think one of the things too that you normally find in people that kind of are presenting the that way of thinking about christianity to you you ask them who they're listening to what teachers they follow and all of a sudden you start to see with much more clarity exactly where that theology comes from where that understanding yeah. of of christianity comes from and it's mm-hmm. it's yeah, if the root is bad so is the fruit you know, mm-hmm. um, but that's huge, you know, through Acts. And I think that's mm-hmm. that's really profound. So, um, yeah, I think that's one thing Acts is going to do for our, our church. I'm hoping it does many things for our church. But one thing it will do is clear up, clear, clear up. It'd be helpful if I could say the words, um, but clear up some of those things. What is tongues and what is the spirit doing and what should be happening right now? And should what should we be praying for and hoping for? And what does it mean to be a true church that is operated and empowered by the holy spirit what does that mean what should we be expecting what should we be disappointed if we if we're not experiencing it or be concerned yeah you know um so what what do you clarify 
clarify those things. On the on the whole, what are you hoping that this book gives to your church? More than anything. I my hope is that, you know, when we went through Revelation and we went through Job, um, there's a lot of us talking about persecution and endurance and the world and looking at your life and your suffering and giving attention to those things. And my hope in general is that Acts will help us as a church kind of put our heads up, stick our chest out, and instead of kind of looking down and looking inward in our prayer and our reflection. And Job just kind of has an inward, introspective, what do I think about life and suffering and my life and my grandma dying and... You know my what my lot in life, and as you're thinking about those things, so that you can put them in order theologically and 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 see the world the way it is. Acts is looking out into the world. Acts is looking out into the lost people in the nations. Uh, Acts is looking out to what is God doing in the world. Hmm. And what Acts is showing us is that God's accomplishing His plan for the Spirit-empowered witness of the Holy Spirit to be spread to all nations. Yeah. And that that's what God's doing, and where we are in history is in relation to that. Yeah. Uh, so that would be the, the main thing. Uh, I, the way I said it Sunday, Acts is a renewal document. Uh, and I, you know, I didn't say it on Sunday, but I stole that phrase from uh, Patrick Schreiner in The Mission of God. You didn't cite him that at all? You just did it? I, di- I, just, I didn't. You just yeah, plagiarized. I just did it. Got it. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't call it plagiarism, but yeah, I I got that. Help, helpful those, borrowing. Got those words from him. That <laughs> um, it it it's telling us what the church is and what it's doing and who we are. Uh, so it it renews us in the way that it 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 rekindles life in the church and it renews our understanding of what the church is and what Mm. it's doing Mm. what god's doing so yeah yeah all right well i hope it goes well me too we'll see see you next week man next week Thanks for listening to the Fire and Bones podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider subscribing or following the show on your favorite listening platform so you can be notified every time a new episode is released. Consider leaving us a generous review if that's an option for you. And most importantly, share this podcast with someone that you think might benefit from it. Be sure to check the show notes for any relevant links, including our contact information. Feel free to reach out to us with any questions you might have. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Fire and Bones podcast. Thank you.